it's so good to be here. If you've got a Bible, could you turn to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 25. I know... uh, I know you guys know this uh, because a lot of you are far more clever, experienced, mature, good-looking than me. Uh, but one of the ways that the Bible describes the days in which we live right now um, are the end times. Which I don't know if you're like me. I, I kind of I've heard that before, and it's kind of you know. And often, of course, you do get rather unhelpful people who, who get obsessed with this thing and they talk a lot of rubbish. And so we, if you're anything like me, because I'm British personally and I want to be seen as rational and sane and, you know, trustworthy, I don't really use that phrase an awful lot. I certainly don't talk much about the return of Jesus and, you know, we can't really know, can we? We just got to focus on the here and now, right? Anyone here kind of resonate with me? So when you hear that phrase that we are living in the end times, it it's never really hit me, I think, up until more recently. I don't know if it's, if it's me, but the more, the more that I look on the TV and um, just, I guess, you know, we're just bombarded, aren't we, with these images and stories of evil men rising up, Thai nations, in the grip of wicked dictators. And uh, you just see the horror. And of course, horror has been a part of this world for a long time, but because of our TVs and our iPads and everything else, we we can see it. But there's something in me that although I do not know, just so you know, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Okay, so just kind of get used to that. I'm I'm not here to predict that. What I am increasingly convinced that is that although we, I don't think, are meant to know exactly, we are still somehow meant to live with this sense of pregnancy. You know, when you're pregnant, not that I've been pregnant, but my wife has, you don't know exactly when it's going to happen. My sister-in-law is, is, is pregnant, and we're kind of waiting for this moment, and we know it's going to happen. But we don't know exactly. And so there's this suspense, isn't there? There's this suspense that's kind of uncomfortable but absolutely vital. And when I look across this world more and more and more, I I can't help but feel deeply reminded of the words that are before you, the red letters. If you've got a Bible like like mine, if you don't know the context in, in Matthew 23, Jesus is just absolutely laid into the leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, he is, if you don't know Jesus here today, believe me, one thing he is not, he is not some kind of pussycat recycling dude. He, he, is, he is genuinely scary in a good way. And he has just, with absolute courage, looked them in the eye and spoken prophetic, righteous judgment over them. And then in Matthew 24 and 25, the pages you have open before you, yes, of course, those of you familiar with this, you'll know that he is at one level prophesying about the historic event of the fall of Jerusalem, which happened probably around 40 years later. We know that. That's absolutely true. And for those of you super cerebral people, you're like, that's what it's all about, a historic event that happened. I believe that's part of it. But when you look at these verses, and of course we're not going to look at all of them today, but when you look at them, there is this sense in which Jesus Christ, in some of the final words that he is choosing to use at his sort of final leadership conference, they are not, they're not words that are kind of like pumping up the people. They're not, they're not building these massively high expectations that everything's just going to be fine. Just believe and go forth. They are words which are very sobering. And yet, if it's if you're anything like me, at the same time, when I look at this world, 
and I look at my efforts, I kind of find them profoundly encouraging. For example, verse 9 of chapter 24, talking to his beloved disciples, he says this, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, they'll put you to death, you'll be hated by all nations. Oh, right. Okay, Jesus, thanks for that. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away, betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel, do you notice that? This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. This gospel. And the context of what he's just described is a very real picture of what following the gospel of Jesus is like. It's not this sugar-coated deal that often we get exposed to. This gospel will be proclaimed and then the end will come. And you go through these, these verses and it talks about Jesus returning, the trumpet sounding, Jesus coming, second coming. And uh, you can't help but read these verses and think, when I look at the world around me, and, and I hope you understand, and if you don't resonate with what I'm saying, either you don't have a TV or you're just burying your head in the sand and you don't have permission to do that. If you live in Europe, for example, you know, we know that the biggest mass migration that's ever his, uh, happened in the history of the world, from what I can understand, tens of millions of people are displaced right now. Every time it rains and me and Josie are in our nice house in Canterbury and we look at the torrential rain, we look at each other and just go, there's millions of kids just over there, right now, in that, because of evil men. Evil men! who are currently out of control, it seems. That's the world we live in. Is it just me? Amen. This is, this, is the, this is the reality. Now, if we didn't have these red letters, if you're anything like me, I would be feeling like, Tom, I've come to this conference to be built up and you're terrifying me. But I just, I think if you're a leader, I'm not going to patronize you. God's not going to patronize us today. And actually, if you go into this war with the wrong expectations, you'll last about 10 seconds. If you're church planting here and you've gone in punching the air thinking that, hey, here we go, you're probably here right now thinking, what, what am I doing wrong? And then you look at these words, and although they're scary, they're wonderfully comforting. Martin Lloyd-Jones in 1980, one of the last interviews before he died, he was asked, what would be your kind of final message to the church of this nation? And without flinching, he said this, do not shy away from proclaiming a gospel which includes flee for the coming wrath of God. Now, we can overdo it. We can get our Souls confused with trying to work out when this Jesus is going to... I get that. But Martin Lloyd-Jones, the assistant physician to the king of England, which was his job before he became a full-time preacher, as it were, a man of phenomenal intellect and balance, who loved rationalism in its place, but also understood the biblical mindset with which we must live. We must always live. Say always. Always live with a, a pregnancy that he will return. He really, really will return. And that the wrath of God is really, really real. You know that the year 2016 um, is known already as like the year of death. I'm sure you probably have heard that. Um, because more than ever, celebrities are generated all the time. You, you can become a celebrity all the time, right? For the last 10 or 20 years because of media. And so all these celebrities are dying, just all the time. And statistically, the number of reported celebrities dying in the last few months has been, by the BBC alone, has been three, four, five times any other previous year. So when I'm in the pub with my mates, this is the topic that keeps coming back up. And I praise God for it. I praise God for it. I praise God 
that whether it's Jesus returning or their hearts stopping beating, there is an increasing, increasing awareness of the mortality and the finality of the days in which we live. And we as Christians need to be living in this, right? We, we need to be living in the reality that these are the end times. We weren't born at the time of Abraham, the beginning times, or Adam. Not even the middle times with David and others. But we are living in the end times. And when you live in the end times, that changes how you live. You're aware that it really is the last few moments of history before Christ returns and makes all things new. And it will be glorious. And I can't wait. And he'll make a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be together forever. Hallelujah. It's going to be amazing. However, for those not in Christ, it will not be amazing. It will not be amazing. And the Lord, I believe, is wanting genuinely, more than ever, to make us a church which is able to live in the absolute reality that these are the end times. Now, if you're anything like me, when I, when I hear stuff like this, couple of things happen. First of all, I do kind of resonate. I think, yeah, I, th- I hope you're at least vaguely convinced that what I'm saying in broad measure is true. But if you're anything like me, I'm a bit of a panicker by nature. I, get, I worry quite easily. And I've got quite a sensitive conscience anyway. So when I read this kind of thing, and Jesus like, over to you, the clock is ticking, I can, I can actually functionally find it generates in me a kind of drivenness. Or a kind of panic. And I can kind of find myself thinking, well, if he really is going to return, these really are the last days in which we're living. It could easily lead to a headless chicken, Tom. It could easily lead to that. And what we find here, in the midst of all of these red letters, and these very, very deliberately dramatic words of Jesus Christ, before he finally returns to heaven, what he says to these big burly men who are hearing Jesus talk about this and he's laying it at their feet and saying this is what's going to happen both in your lifetime and beyond this is the future before I return this is what it's going to feel like for you there will be glorious things but this will be absolutely true we know the world will get darker and the church will get brighter we believe that so what does he say to these big burly men who probably are anything like me or you, a bit, a bit panicked, a bit worried that Jesus is being really intense? We find him talking these curious verses. He starts talking about ten virgins. I love that about Jesus. He genuinely is not what you expect. He says here in verse, verse 1 of chapter 25, And then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Just remember that. Today's preach is not complicated. Hallelujah. It really isn't. (laughs) Jesus is coming back. What do we do? This is the warning bit, okay? They took no oil oil with them. But the wise, they took a little bit. Oh, no, no, no. It says they took, say that word with me, flasks. For American friends, flasks. Flasks of oil. Flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept I believe the church in this nation is drowsy. I believe it. I see it at City Church. I love that church. I got saved into that church. Anyone here from that church? A few of you. I love that church. But I see that she is drowsy and in danger of falling asleep. They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there came a cry Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. 
But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore. He's already been saying in the previous verses, stay awake. I like that. Stay awake. Watch. For you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, this is a, 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 at one level a somewhat cultural story. Those at the time would have got it immediately. But I'm told in those days that it was a tradition that bridesmaids, uh, in this case ten of them that Jesus is describing, would often wait up for the coming of the bridegroom. And because the, the, the marriage festivals went on so long, often right deep into the night. And so there's this picture here of this division between, between ten, bridegroom, uh, sorry, 10 bridesmaids or virgins, five of whom were wise and five were foolish. On the surface of it, they would have looked exactly the same. In a room like this, on the surface of it, we look pretty similar. But there is this profound difference between them. Five of them, the foolish, take the lamps and no oil. And now, you know the answer to this. What in the Bible is oil nearly always synonymous with? The Holy Spirit. Oil is synonymous with the presence of God. The oil. Oil brought healing. Oil brought light. Oil was was a beautiful image that throughout Scripture we see again and again is used describing, it's a way of, of describing the presence of God himself. And there's this vivid image here that we see with these, these first five, these first five virgins, and, and they're foolish simply because they did not take much oil. And I just want you to remember that. We're just setting the scene at the moment. They, they had the lamps, and commentators, some commentators say, that in many ways we as Christians are like those lamps. It talks about in Revelation, the churches are like lampstands, so you could see yourself as a lamp if you want, or you can see yourself as one of the virgins. The point being, really, is that there's this first category of foolish virgins. And the key thing is this, is they do not take flasks of oil. They don't take, they don't take flasks of oil. Whereas the wise... They don't just have a lamp, and I guess the lamp could represent life itself, the gift of life. In a room like this and in a city like this, there's clearly many, many people all around. In this world, there's billions who are all lamps, yeah? They have something of the oil of life itself still sustaining them. Everyone has that. Everyone is a lamp in that sense. Everyone is a virgin in that sense. But the key difference here that I want us to laser in on in this backdrop of the end times is this issue of oil. This simple yet profound issue of the presence of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, these very, very wonderful words Jesus said about the oil, about the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, capital H, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll do three things. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So I, I just want to speak for a few moments today. And what it is to be a people who, with the backdrop that Jesus really, really, really is returning, that we really are living in days of tremendous urgency. If you're anything like me, that can send you into a, what do I do then, Tom? How do I live my life? And what I wanted to do is to do what Jesus did, which was actually to profoundly simplify it and to ask this one question. How are your oil levels here today? 
And some of you, many of you, because you're from a charismatic background, think, great, a message on the Holy Spirit. And absolutely. But what I want to do today is show this, is the urgency of this particular story hit me because the reality is this was not God just saying, I want you to have the Holy Spirit to make you feel good or to have meetings that are productive. This is dramatic language about the very end of the world. And he could have spoken about anything. And as Jesus piles on the pressure, upon the pressure, upon the pressure, he then gives this one focus. You might not be strategic. You might not be organized. You might not be good on your feet. But if you want to be a witness and if you want to pray, there is one common person that above everyone else you need to increasingly know and his name is the Holy Spirit. And it starts, you can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You can't persevere as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And you cannot give your life and make it to the end as a Christian without not just a bit of the Holy Spirit, without flasks. Say flasks. I love that image. Flask. And it's so, it's such a glorious story because the, the, uh, the impression is, is that those who were foolish, they just didn't pick it up. It, it, the image is like, they're there. The flasks of oil were there to be taken. And they simply did not take the flask of oil. So I want to look at those three elements. Those three elements, those three parts of our life that we all desperately, we don't just need a bit of the Holy Spirit. And I believe God, the Holy Spirit, wants to come in power over these days. So first of all then, you can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. We all know that, right? We know that, Tom. Come on, that's basic, that's milk. Well, Galatians 5, chapter 24 says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus... That's those who have become Christians, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, Paul here in this verse, he is writing to uh, some of the first churches that he planted in what is modern day Turkey, Galatia. And he's saying to them, as they're starting to get off beam, he's starting to say to them, Do you remember how it all started? So he is focusing on how they first came to know Jesus. And in that chapter, Galatians chapter 5, it's an amazing chapter if you don't know it. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. It's a kind of brave heart. Wonderful chapter. Thank you for my accent. All of you Scottish are like, oh my. It is an amazing kind of punch the air kind of chapter. But what we find in the heart of it is this incredibly dramatic description that Paul chooses to use about how they came to know Jesus. How it all started. How the Holy Spirit led them to actually become someone who could say, I'm a Christian. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, do you remember? You crucified the flesh. It's an amazing verse. I love it. And what he's saying is, is that when you first become a Christian, when you belong to Jesus, when it all began, when, when that oil of the Holy Spirit first came and started to work in your dead heart, Do you remember what happened? It wasn't just that you made a decision for Jesus, although that's what it feels like often. He's saying, biblically, what actually happened if you truly were born again, he's saying to them, was that you were infected and affected with the very perspective of heaven itself. And suddenly, your sin and your flesh, it wasn't something that you were ambivalent to and half-hearted about. Suddenly, you became as you became someone who saw it as something worthy of crucifixion as anything else. So, so crucifixion, you'll know this, was reserved for the very worst of criminals. It was deliberately something that was, that was saved, not, to, not as a kind of humanitarian way of killing people quickly. It has been designed to be painful. And what Paul's saying to them is, he says, do you remember... That when you actually became someone who said, Jesus is Lord, and you belong to Christ, the Spirit, the oil was at work in you. It was such a significant work in you that suddenly you saw your sin and your flesh in the same way that your father sees it. And it's like he said, you wanted to crucify it. And by the power of the Spirit and by the power of the Father with you, you became someone who was suddenly 
able to view your sin in the way that the holy God of, of eternity saw it. And it wasn't something that you're half-hearted about, something that is okay, but something that caused you to absolutely, I don't just want to mildly deal with this, I want to pin it to the cross, and as John Stott says, for the rest of your life, you continue by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's not like suddenly it's done. By the power of the Spirit and the power of the Father, you pin it, as it were, to the cross on, ongoingly. And it's almost like when, when there's a criminal that is dying and is desperate to get off the cross, it's a, it's a gruesome image, I know. But he's saying this is the image of what it is when you first came to Christ and indeed the way in which you progress. By the power of the Spirit, you, in, you, you, you continue to pin the flesh to the cross. Now, is there anyone here brave enough to admit that, um, honestly, your own sort of struggles with sin and stuff, when you hear that, it's actually somewhat encouraging? Because what he's saying is, you know, if you think living in the Spirit means that suddenly you're just going to kind of float through life and it'll all be, you know, it'll be fine. But when, when you realize that Paul's saying, you started and you carry on by, it is a crucifixion, to be Spirit-led means you're actually, ongoingly, crucifying something that's very real. So when you're in pain, as you go into your second, third, fourth decade of following Christ, because you're still seeing things in your heart that you really wish weren't there, take heart, is what he's saying. Take heart, because the Spirit is at work in you. He is the one. Now, I'm saying this because, honestly, and and I, I don't know if this is just the context in which I live, But more and more and more, when I look at the generation with which I'm part of, I'm I'm in my 30s, the generation of those who do not know Jesus Christ, when I talk to them about the reality of God and God being a God of love, they nod. They get that. They hear that. They think they're quite lovable. But what I am not seeing is a Holy Spirit-generated fear of the Lord that leads them to say, I have suddenly seen something in my soul that doesn't even sound that shocking, but something in me just knows this is, this is really, really real. That is what it is to follow Christ. That it is true conviction. Jesus said to me, when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin. And one of the biggest things that I think, honestly, uh, I, I just see is so missing in, in the generation that I'm part of, is a sense of the fear of the Lord. It's a sense that we're going to get to the warm, fuzzy stuff in a minute, okay? We like to live there, right? We love that. I get that. But the reality is, you know, by the grace of God in the last four or five years, God has convicted me of the sin of being in a Christian bubble. It's been a big, fat sin, and I've repented to the church about it. I said, I came to Christ... Because a girl was wandering around outside a bar at university when I was an atheist and I was a bit drunk and I was coming out and she had, I vaguely knew her and I just said, oh hi, have you been out, you know, for a beer? And she said, no, I've been praying. That's all she said. Saturday night, scores of people out everywhere and she just bravely said those three words. Not very sophisticated, but God used those three words and they got in my soul and over those few weeks I started weeping, I I couldn't sleep properly and I was ambushed by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And it's never stopped. Now, she didn't, it was just, she just said, I've been praying. That was it. It wasn't sophisticated. She just said it. And then I have led a church where very, very few people are doing that. I have, at that, at one level, failed to multiply the simplest, simplest thing. Simply being available and praying. Does that sound familiar with the theme of the conference? She was out praying and willing and available. And I was a person of peace. I didn't even know it. I got quite defensive when she told me about Jesus and I've been praying. Don't try and convert me. But the Holy Spirit came to me and I was convicted of my sin. Now, I know this sounds basic, but more and more, I I just see the language change. I know... um, When Sandy Miller was with us a little while ago, he said, the language has changed over the last 30 years. He said it in his lovely Sandy Miller way, you know, in a very sort of polite way. But he said, 30 years ago, people talked about getting saved. I was saved. The emphasis is on the one doing the saving, and it's from a scary thing. Now it's, I've made a decision for Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that is totally unbiblical, 
But I'm just saying if that's the only language that is used, it's telling us something. It's telling us something. It's telling us that the world in which we live, and I would just, you know, personally, the generation that I'm living in, and, and the sort of little Disneyland that is East Kent where we live, and it's all kind of, na, 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 and all terribly polite, never goes to university, and it's all nice. People are so terrifyingly deluded about the reality of their mortality and the return of Christ. And the church is asleep. Our church is asleep, and I, and, and I take responsibility for that. Now, by the grace of God, over the last three or four years, I have, are you ready for a drum roll? I have become friends with non-Christians. Thank you. It's phenomenal. I know. I go to the pub and I buy a round. Thank you. I, every month, I blow a round. You know, I'm the first in. I get in there. And I'll tell you what. You know, and I have lovingly rebuked our eldership I still do and I and and it's not okay it's not okay if your equivalent of that is not happening surely it should be normal that every single one of us should be leading people to, to Christ all the not necessarily all the time but often right surely amen come on guys amen either Jesus genuinely said I will give you the Holy Spirit the third person of God, the third person of the Trinity, who will, he will convict people. Just be available and talk to them. And, and, but this is the point I'm coming to. By the grace of God, I have gone from being the, most wor- the worst offender. I would have been you know, squirming in my seat hearing last night's message a, a few years ago because I hardly know any Christians. And through the simplest method of going to the pub, with the blokes in our street, probably I know realistically 30 to 40 men now, properly know them. And every last Friday of every night, we go down to the pub. And it's, it's, I said to Josie, I said, I said Josie, because the, the stories that are coming out of those times, with them it's often after a beer or two, they pluck up the courage. I never bring up Jesus, and I just wait for them to do it. And every time they do. And I remember the first time we were chatting away to some guy, and he was like, so what do you do? because I've been asking him all the questions. And uh, I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And he went, oh, a plasterer. <laughs> and uh, I was like, no, 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 I'm not a plasterer. I'm definitely not a plasterer. My wife will bear witness to my DIY prowess. And, uh, and then I said, I'm a pastor of a church. And literally the whole group of eight men went really quiet. And they were like, men, you know. And they just looked at me, and I kid you not, one of them, straight away a chef, looked at me and said, so can I ask you this, if you live a life where you genuinely do do a lot of good, and you really, you know, you give yourself to that, but you, you don't really believe in the Jesus bit, can you still go to heaven? This is an hour into the first time, and I all look at me. And I'm like, I should really know what to say right now. And here, it's easy, right? You're like, well, what you need to do is, when you're there, I personally, maybe it's just me, uh, and I was sort of stumbling away giving some sort of answer. And then suddenly the guy who actually leads the group, who's not a Christian, he just cut across me. He's a rugby playing bloke. He went sort of my stumbling ways and just said, well, it's about repentance, isn't it? And then it blew up because he defined it as you've just got to put your trust in Jesus. And someone said, well, even at the end of your life and you haven't done anything good. And the guy said, well, I guess ultimately. Now, listen, listen. I can claim no credit. Say no credit. No. <laughs> My wife is really good at this stuff. She just does it all the time. I am such by nature a Christian bubble man. I'm in the bubble. I love the bubble. But what? But, but this is my point. So, so I have been, I've, I've been taking baby steps over these last few years, and I love it, and it is a genuine delight. But here is the deal. Here's the serious bit. I haven't baptized any of them, and they have expressed interest, but with all of them now, they're just at this point. Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Tell me you know what I mean. That point where they now know basically the deal. You're a nice guy. You buy around. You're surprisingly normal-ish. Interesting. Interesting. Thanks for that, Tom. Anyway, back to rugby or whatever. Now, this is the deal. And I felt this. In my, I felt this sense that unless Holy Spirit 
unless Holy Spirit, you sovereignly now break in. And unless you, oh, I know it's so basic, but it's so profound, unless you do what you did to me 20 years ago through the most unimpressive witness, in a way, very simple, and I went to a church which I now lead and I love, but it wasn't this super mega cool church. It still really isn't. Very normal. Just love Jesus. Unless the Holy Spirit does not do it now, nothing's going to happen. It has to be Him. And I tell you, I, I'm just praying for conviction of sin. That's what I want. I don't just want a kind of like, you know, everything's okay. I want what the Bible's. They were pierced to the heart when they heard Peter. They were pierced to their heart. This nation needs to be pierced to the heart. It doesn't just need to be interested or even a bit convinced or persuaded, although that's part of the deal. The fundamentally, the Holy Spirit, he has to do something that we cannot do. Amen? He has to do it. We can do all the friendship evangelism in the world, and we can have scores of those who don't know Jesus. But ultimately, there has to come a moment where, where the Holy Spirit does something that you or I cannot do. He needs to do it. I was talking to a young couple who have, in theory, kind of crossed the line of faith, if you want to use that phrase. And I was talking about baptism. And, and, and honestly, they're living together in all the senses that that, that, you know, that means. And I was saying to them, don't you see a problem here? Do you know? Don't you understand that to follow Jesus does have implications? You can't just continue to have sex and live together. And there was just blank expressions. Now, when I was a young Christian, I fell into sexual sin fairly early on. And I remember coming to Christian gatherings to church and feeling physically sick. And after two or three weeks, I remember I literally just had to go to the guy and just say, I just, I just feel sick because I'm way, I've just got to repent. And instantly was just smothered in the love of God and knew a power from then to actually say no because of a greater pleasure in Jesus. And I'm looking at this, this lovely couple who are genuinely searching and I'm just thinking, Holy Spirit, I, I can't, how do you, you've got to do a work in their hearts. Tell me you're dealing with this in the villages and towns and the cities of this nation and, and, and the mainland. Because this is where this whole conference, this is why we need to have the tools. We need those. That's absolutely vital. But there is absolutely such a, you know, when we talk about enough and the need to pray, <laughs> I mean, you, are you up for a battle? Because it's going to be a battle. We can do all the resources we want and, and have all the stats, but at the ground level, it is a battle to get people to pray on a Friday night. But you know what? I believe God wants to do it. I believe he wants to convict this nation of sin through people who are praying, saying, God, you've got to do this. You have got to do this. So that, first of all, then, th th we need flasks of oil, amen, as a movement. We need flasks of oil in our meetings, where people come and genuinely sense, I, I know that if I was to die tonight, I would not be right with God. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, flee for the wrath of God is coming. It is a, there needs to be something of the power of God in a greater measure than we are seeing so much more. That is the authentic gospel, I think. It's the starting place. But what we see is, is, that, is that often in our Christian life, as we then progress... We can actually easily be those who, to be honest with you, just kind of forget about the Holy Spirit functionally. Functionally. We don't really mean to do it, but we just find ourselves doing it. I love the second work of the Spirit as defined by Jesus in John 16 passage. He says, he will convict the world of sin. Right, we need that, got that. But also of righteousness. I love that. Now, the word righteousness is quite a scary word at one level because we think of God. And is that like another scary word, Tom? Kind of. But guess what? If you're a Christ follower, let me ask you this question. Are, are you now righteous? Are we righteous? How righteous are you? That's not a rhetorical question. How righteous are you? As Jesus. So we see that as we face these end times, as well as the Spirit convicting more and more people of their need for God and hating sin, there's a, 
there's a, there's a sort of an equal and opposite passion that God wants to generate, not just that we hate sin, although that's part of it, but that we love the righteous one, that we love him, that we don't just know him a bit, but that we, we are convicted and convinced of his righteousness and indeed our righteousness. I love the fact, Mike, Mike Reeves, a great uh, theologian, he makes the point. He says, the Father, the Father has for all eternity been utterly and stunningly delighted in his Son. He is more amazed and in wonder of his Son. He, he never gets bored of his Son. There's never a point in which the Father says, oh, I've, I've kind of exhausted my wonder in my Son. And so when we as now Christ followers can honestly say that we now have Jesus. We now have him. He, his righteousness is my righteousness. That I am now in Christ as loved by the Father, as Jesus, as righteous. Now, now listen, let me say this. Some of you are nodding and going, yeah, yeah, I, I get that, Tom, that's nice. But you're absolutely exhausted. You're absolutely exhausted. And you may well have felt something of the conviction of the Spirit, perhaps, when you first became a Christ follower. But for, I believe, hundreds maybe even here today. What the Lord's wanting to say to you particularly is this. Are you deeply, deeply, flasks of oil? Is the Spirit, is He deeply convincing you of your utter worth and righteousness before the Father right now? In a room like this, I promise you, the comparison trap abounds. The I'm failing lie is abounding. I'm not as good as these guys. My church isn't as big. If you're a pioneer here today, in any sense, can you just quickly stand up? Nice and quick. If you're church planting, perhaps. Great. If you, if you feel that's for you, if you're, you know you're someone here, and you're particularly in that kind of... Now, guys, if we're a movement which wants to see an acceleration of church planting... Church plants are our almost spiritual kids, aren't they? They're the babies that God's giving birth to. And I just felt for you who are at that kind of particular front line, very, very simple word, just encouragement to you, that the Holy Spirit wants to meet with you right now. Ooh, in tremendous power. Can you just put your hands on these wonderful men and women around? Just quickly, we're just going to pray for them. Because I believe that this... This flasks of oil, this sense of the Holy Spirit assuring you of your right standing before the Father. For some of you, this is going to be the big takeaway for you over these few days. Right now, Holy Spirit, wonderful oil of God, we do not want to be foolish and try and live without you. We want to be wise. And so right now, we ask Whoa, for a glorious outpouring of your spirit on these men and women and indeed their children, who many of whom aren't here. We pray right now. Join with me, please, all across the room. I believe this is God's invitation just to strengthen, to strengthen men and women here today. Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray right now for a deep sense of their right standing before you, that they are as beloved as your wonderful son. This is my beloved son in whom my heart thrills and delights. Oh Lord. Lord, we stand with these men and women in their isolated places. And today we say, Lord God, would you banish the lie of failure, condemnation, and tiredness. And right now we pray, Holy Spirit, great bringer of the oil of gladness and joy and peace and clarity we pray right now, release rivers of joy. Rivers of joy in our church plants. Rivers of joy, Lord. Rivers of joy. Rivers of joy. Dreams coming back to life. Where disappointment and hurt and fiery darts have got in. We stand against and we say we do not have strategies. We do not have clever plans or mottos. We have the oil of the Holy Spirit. He is our hope. You are our hope, Holy Spirit. And we right now want to ask that you will be poured out on these hearts poured out on these hearts, Holy Spirit, refresh, refresh them, Lord, strengthen their hearts, strengthen their hearts, Lord, in these end times, Lord God, as they at times will feel, can we go on? Lord God, I pray, Lord, would you strengthen them in Jesus' name.
Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, grab your seats. We need to be a people of the presence of the oil of the Holy Spirit. Anyone here brave enough to say that simply enduring, simply persevering is actually pretty tough? And, and you just know that today you just need more of Him, more of the presence of the oil of God. We pray right now, Lord God, for everyone here who would say, Lord, that simply taking one, one step in front of another, oh, Lord, we pray release. Release those, Lord Jesus, who feel bound up. Release those who feel, Lord God, like there is a heavy yoke. And I pray, replace it. Replace it, Holy Spirit. Only you can bring rivers of revelation into our hearts. Oh, only you, Lord God. Strengthen your church, Lord God, in this land. Strengthen your church, Lord, in this nation and on the mainland and, and, and further and beyond. And Lord, Lord, in all the places that are being represented here, we pray strengthen your church. Strengthen your church. Thank you, Lord. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and righteousness, but finally, judgment. Judgment. Do you feel convicted and convinced of the judgment of Jesus, of the coming judgment of Jesus. Is that something in your life that is alive and well? Is it something that even as I say it, you automatically think it's a negative thing for you? Or do you think of the return of Jesus, your coming king, when he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, despite all your failings and all your faults, Because the reality is this, and with this I will finish, you do not have to be a prophet to realize that I think almost certainly in the coming days we will face increasing persecution in this nation. And when we don't have access to buildings and PowerPoints and electric guitars, when those days do come, when we don't even have access to websites, when we can't be open, when we can't run alpha, when those days come, what will be left? The oil of the Holy Spirit in men and women's hearts. And he is more than enough. Hallelujah. He is more than enough. I love it that we are, I believe at a time where the Western church is starting to take the posture of learning from the Eastern Church, the Middle Eastern and the Far East. There's, you can see something's happening globally. I hope you sense that. There is a, there's like a, dis, a corporate discipleship moment that God is bringing about. If you have ears to hear, it's happening right now. And it's not to bring terror and fear, but it is to be ready, to be ready for the days ahead. Jesus didn't say this to freak the guys out. He said it that they would be ready. In fact, he said these words and then said, don't be anxious. He said, pray for the conviction of the Spirit because otherwise you won't make disciples. Let people be thoroughly convicted of their need for God and pray, pray, pray that then ongoingly there won't just be a hatred of sin but there will be a passion for Jesus, a passion for the righteous one and a passion that sets you free from feeling like you're failing. But finally, that there would be an increasing watchfulness, alertfulness, if that's a word, an alertness in our spirits that is ready for the coming days which will surely come our way. Jesus promised it. And you can see it coming more and more and more. There will be a day when the first UK church is overtly attacked. I believe it with all my heart. We are not safe here. If we think we are safe because of the channel, then we are very, very deluded. And our police and our government are working overtime God bless them, and if you're part of that, I honor you for the incredible place that God has put you, and it's a good thing, but I had a massive discussion with a very close friend recently, 
And he was very, very emotional and, and he was talking about the need to protect our nation and to protect things because we're in danger if we're too open that people will come in. And he said, I want to protect my children. I want to protect them, right? And he thought he had the trump card. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I understand that the, the passion to protect, but my prayers for my children have changed. They used to be, Lord, would you protect them? Would you bless them? Give them good husbands? And, and that's not bad, but my primary, my primary prayers for my children have changed because I can't ultimately protect them. My ultimate prayer now for my children is this. Lord Jesus, fill them with your power. Fill them with your power. Let them have flasks of oil, rivers of your presence that far outstrip anything I've ever known. Because when all is said and done, and when the darkness does get darker, if we are not a people who know our profound, desperate need for the oil of the Holy Spirit, our lamps will go out. And I'm praying over my three beautiful girls more than anything. Lord, I say protect them. I'm a very protective dad. But I tell you what, when I said to my friend, I said, you know what? I am trying to prepare them for the next life. This is not our hope. Amen? This is not our hope. Ultimately, our hope is Jesus Christ and a new heaven and a new earth. And I want them to be living with that. Because the more that they're living with that, the more that they will live this life with wisdom and not foolishness. Which is what this is about. Be wise, he's saying. Don't just think that, that the person of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit is some kind of thing for a few charismatic people. It is in these end times the vital thing that Jesus Christ almost lovingly grabs them by the scruff of the neck and says, You've got to be wise. Don't be foolish. Make sure that is what you are praying. I want my kids genuinely to be convicted of their sin and know their need for Jesus. I don't want them just to have a quasi-Christian relationship because mum and dad know Jesus. I want them to know their need and I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can say to them, you're not okay, Daisy, Lily and Poppy. You need a saviour. But he is ready and waiting so yearning to draw you into his presence. Hallelujah. And then be ready to give your life for him. And for some of us, it will be absolutely literal. I find myself thinking about that a lot recently. And it doesn't, it's not something that's causing me to be crippled. It's, I feel like increasing freedom. Because I, I do believe the Holy Spirit prepares us. I believe in him. I am, I, I am assured that he is consistently drawing men and women into glory in a magnificent way. And we may never even hear about them. We just hear about the few people on, you know, who are trending on the podcast. But the real, often, the real men and women of God who will gladly give their lives. So for those of you who are pioneers in far-flung places, and there's a kind of death that you are experiencing because you are not known about, you're in the middle of nowhere, no one's seeing it, praise God for the death that God's allowing you to walk into. It is actually a rehearsal of that great death. And the Spirit of God delights unless a seed falls into the ground. It cannot be resurrected. Hallelujah. It is the principle. And God is calling us to get ready to lose our lives for him. Literally, some of us. Many of us, perhaps. I'll never forget hearing this story. You remember a year or two ago, the 21 um, Egyptian Christian martyrs who were beheaded for, by ISIS. And uh, the images were very well known. The orange suits as they were marched along the beach. And it was at one level a terrifying, I found, thing. It's, it, you know, it's just haunting. It's like, oh, I don't want to look at that. But God hasn't given us permission to hide from say, suffering and evil and pain. He hasn't given us permission. He, he didn't do that. He looked at it and he got involved. And then a few months later, I saw a video that was produced by the Egyptian Coptic Church. And it, remarkably, still online, you can see it, it was, it was, it was actually um, put together by the men and women who knew these men. And they said they were very, very normal men. Most of them were illiterate. They were just very poor men who had moved from one part of the Middle East to another. And they were working on the roads. They were laborers, just trying to you know, get a, a living. But they really knew Jesus. And they were part of our church. And they were just smiling. This whole video is them smiling. There's no sense of look at us. And they just said, you've got to understand in Egypt, our, 
You know, the whole of our foundations are drenched in the blood of martyrdom. It's just who we are. It's just you pick up your cross and then you die. This is nothing unusual. It's publicized. And they were just saying, this is, this is normal Christianity. And uh, they said, what was remarkable was that we knew 20 of them. But we found out later that the 21st guy was not actually a Christian. He was just working with them. But this is honestly true. When they knelt, and as the executors said, will you renounce Jesus? And one by one they said, I can't do it. He's my God. And were praising Jesus as they were beheaded. One by one by one. And it got to the final guy who was not a Christian. And apparently he said, their God is my God. And with that he was beheaded. And he gave his life for Christ. Now that, that glorifies God. Because God was in them. It was God at work, right? They weren't just brave men. That's God, the Holy Spirit. And on the same video, there was a teenage girl who was 16. And she was interviewed. And she said, apparently a few days after this happened, she ran into one of the uh, leaders' studies and said, isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing? And he said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you always said the Holy Spirit, he will be with us till the very end. He will sustain us in our darkest hour. He will never let us go. He is stronger. He will, he will do what no one else can do. He will empower people to do things that are impossible, even give their lives for Christ. And look what they've done. And now I believe you. Now I am greater in faith than ever that this Jesus, it really is the one. And what they are saying is that video that was meant to actually send, send fear and cripple the church has actually more than ever demonstrated the glory of God to empower men. All glory to God. All glory to God. Shall we stand? We've covered quite a bit of ground today, but simply this. Just to finish where we started. Are we going to be those who are wise or foolish? Do you see walking deeply, profoundly, closely with the Holy Spirit as something that you need to get to? Oh, it's my devotional life. I need to get that in check. Because what will happen is God will break us more and more so that we can't run anywhere else. And so actually, there's nowhere else to hide. We, oh, it's, it's either this or nothing. So if you, if you feel like today, you know the conviction of the Spirit in your soul. You know God has been probing you lovingly, but firmly today. I just want you to reach out your hands. We've only got five minutes left before we finish. And you just say, I know I need, I know I need afresh to prioritize above everything the person of the Holy Spirit's work in my life it's not in addition to following Jesus it's how you do it it is it is the center of who we are a spirit-led people and we are not just spirit-led for nice meetings or the way I love meetings we are spirit-led because the end times are the days in which we live and without the spirit no one can ever fully be convicted of sin. And without the Spirit, none of us can live in joy knowing we're righteous. And without the Holy Spirit, none of us will live saying, do you know what? I don't really want to die for my faith, but I will die for my faith if that is what you're saying, Lord. Because the judgment of God is something that I am ready for and I'm thinking about and I consciously daily imagine and get ready for. So right now, Holy Spirit, we sense our weakness. We sense our fragility. But in the same moment, we sense your power. And I just humbly ask for an unleashing of your power, an outpouring of your spirit, the like of which perhaps we've never even seen before. Why not in these days? Lord God, we ask you right now, would you even just join me in doing that rather than just listening to me? But would you just engage in these last few moments with the Holy Spirit? 
You ask him for the areas that the, the Lord has put his hand on today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.